You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCourt. Welcome back with us this week. As we discuss Aftershock, mm-hmm. this is um, it's a pretty serious one, not like murder, but, you know, a neighbor of murder, if you will. Right. Some social commentary here for certain. Mm-hmm. This is on Hulu. It was just released in 2022. It's an hour and 26 minutes long. Directed by Paula Eiselt and Tanya Lewis-Lee. Before we start, I think... I'll make a statement, Eric, you can agree or disagree or, I don't know, hang up, if you will. (laughs) But this is a documentary about women of color and how they're treated by the medical field, Mm -hmm. mostly for maternity purposes in this instance. Mm -hmm. And Erin and I, being both white women, cannot necessarily relate to this. This is nothing that I can even imagine what these people have been through. Right. So going through this is a learning process. We are doing our best to present it, to bring light to the situation, to people who might not have been aware of it. Yes. And understand that if we make a mistake, please call us out because really we're just here to learn and help where we can. Yes. We want to be sensitive, but this really is everybody's issue. We need to take care Mm -hmm. of one another. And if we don't talk about this stuff, it's never going to get better. And Mm -hmm. I think that, I don't know, it's, it's just a good time to start talking about everyone's reproductive rights and how we are treated if we expect to make things better. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's so painful, the stories that this discusses, but they're real and Mm -hmm. let's get cracking, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's a tough one. So Mm -hmm. we'll get through it. We'll get through it. And we'll learn from it and we'll be better from it. That's Mm -hmm. how I feel. Okay. So this opens with family videos. There's Mm -hmm. a young woman named Shimani. Mm -hmm. This is her family videos, her family taking videos of her in it with her mom, her siblings, her partner. Mm -hmm. And they're just sweet. I mean, she seems like an amazing woman. First of all, she runs and anyone who runs, in my opinion, is just freakishly (laughs) strong, I guess. I know. Right. And you can tell that she just, I mean, she's loved, she's cared for, she has a good support system. Mm -hmm. She just seems like a good person in general, right? Of course. And then they show a video that she's making for her child. So she was pregnant, going into the hospital to have this child. She's making a video beforehand, Mm kind of like, hey, baby, welcome to the world. This is what we're Mm -hmm. doing. Yep. Really sweet. Mm -hmm. And that video you find out is being shown at a memorial for her on her 31st birthday. Right. Because she had passed four months earlier. Right. Then you start to hear her story, which is just heartbreaking and unacceptable all at the same time. Yes. It's really something. This has taken place in Brooklyn, New York City. Mm-hmm. Her partner, Omari Maynard, is one of the bigger players in this documentary. He's mm-hmm. He speaks quite a bit. So a lot of this is from his viewpoint. Jasmine Gibson is Shimani's sister. Her mom is in it as well. Shawnee Benton Gibson. So yes, four months past her, her death at the ripe old age of 30 is shocking and horrible. Mm -hmm. 
she went into the hospital to have a C-section, which was standard, as you'll find out later. Sadly. She started to have some problems pretty soon into her recovery, Mm -hmm. difficulty catching her breath. They mentioned she climbs the stairs. She's having trouble catching her breath. They said even just talking, she was having problems breathing. That to me, and she was healthy, right? I said she's a runner. Runner, She was very healthy. So that is weird. Right. So the doctors are just telling her to rest. So you're starting to see the the problems here start very early. Mm -hmm. She's going in for staple removal two weeks afterwards. And it's the same story from her doctors. There's no urgency about her symptoms. She's sort of dismissed. Mm -hmm. It's not great. Right. Shawnee starts to say, you know, we just did our best to help her with her recovery. We cooked for her. We took care of her. Mm -hmm. That's what family does. And so she had plenty of care and support. And then about two weeks in, she's starting to have really sharp chest pain one day. Mm-hmm. She's saying, please call the ambulance. I need to go to the hospital. Oh, sorry. She wants to go to the ER, but it it escalates so quickly that they end up calling the ambulance. Right. And then again, once the EMTs get there, they're bombarding the family with questions about like, what kind of drugs is she on? Is she on drugs? And I'm talking like wave after wave after wave mm-hmm. of EMTs coming and asking these questions. And they are so frustrated because they're like, nothing. She's not on anything. Like, right. just please stop. They are trying to answer questions about her recent history because that stuff matters in treatment. Mm -hmm. But again, it's just really about what is she on and, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is pretty ugly. Right. And these are educated people. Shawnee happens to work with maternal equality. Mm -hmm. And so she's pretty familiar with the process of medical care and maternity wards Mm -hmm. and things like that, I would assume. But she's very good about she's like giving them the information this is this is what happened these are the mm-hmm. symptoms this is what we've done and they just right. dismiss her right yeah the whole time they're dismissive of her what is she on what is she on and shawnee's like fucking nothing dude how many times do we have to say that right and she especially hits that the emts there's it sounds like a a clown car full of emts like she says there's <laughs> right. wave after wave of them coming in and they keep asking the same questions and she's like are you guys not talking to each other like come on right so They end up taking her to the closest hospital. I did not get the name of that, but they were not thrilled Mm -hmm. about going to that hospital. She is diagnosed when she gets there with a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot of the arteries of the lungs. Mm -hmm. So they end up just giving her blood thinners. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming for the clot to break up, but she ends up passing away. And the question is, why did this happen? It was preventable. This did not have to happen. You know, and that's, I think, what her family is left with. I mean, it's shocking and horrible. And also, you know, she was mistreated, basically. And it's just horrific. Right. It's not like she kept this to herself. She was talking to people. She was asking about, listen, this isn't right. This isn't right. And just dismissed the whole time. As women in general, we are dismissed. As Mm -hmm. Black women, you're practically invisible, I'm sure. Certainly. Even more so. Ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. This leaves... Amari looking after two sweet little babies. They have Mm -hmm. a daughter that's a little bit older and then their little boy that... Which is born, yeah. Yeah. And then Amari kind of mentions that he's talking to his daughter and she's very young, like toddler age. Yeah. About her mom's death. And that's just heartbreaking. He is an artist, so there are these lovely renderings of her image everywhere in their house. And Mm -hmm. that's sort of a running theme as you go on, which I thought 
was good that he had some way to express himself because I can't imagine the overwhelm and anger you must feel in yeah. a situation like this. I like that later he describes that painting pictures of her helps him feel connected to her still. Yeah. And I yeah. thought, well, that's amazing. Right. And he is an amazing artist. These paintings are stunning. I wrote the same thing down. He, he really captures the light of someone in his mm -hmm. work. And I thought, what a gift that he has. Mm -hmm. And then he talks a lot about the difficulty of life without Shimani. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, it's just horrible. Yeah. How he, even waking up every morning, is still surprised that she's not there. Yeah. I can't imagine. And mm -hmm. I don't know when that would ever go away. Right? I mean, you would just, I don't know. It'd be so hard. Because it's such a shock. It's not easy to watch someone waste away from cancer, but at least it gives you a little time to prepare. She was young, she was healthy, and just yeah. tragically taken away. And they were so excited about this baby. You can see in mm -hmm. the videos that they show in the footage of the documentary that they were making plans. They were starting a mm -hmm. life, you know, and it was so sweet. Mm -hmm. And then to be cut short in such a way, you know, really affected him and then her family, and it kind of rippled out from there, mm -hmm. And which is really what this documentary is all about. Mm-hmm. So the second main character in this documentary, his name is Bruce. Now I'm going to mm -hmm. say, first of all, I really like that name and I don't hear it enough. I do too. I thought the same <laughs> thing. I was like, oh, that's, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. The only Bruce I have, I can think of to reference is Bruce Banner, of course, but <laughs> other than that, I got nothing. <laughs> right. Right. It's not common, but it's a great name. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This guy seems a little calmer than say the Hulk, but possibly. Yeah. Yeah. They show him also raising his infant mm -hmm. son and his partner amber they were pregnant she was they show a video of her helping demonstrate how to plant like indoor plants how to pot them as an activity for kids and i thought mm -hmm. i need that activity for me as well ma'am but she just looked like she loved what she was doing she enjoyed her life she was excited mm -hmm. to be pregnant mm-hmm so as she's going through pregnancy, she notices she has at about the second, third trimester, she's getting headaches a lot. She's mm -hmm. feeling dizzy. And of course, the doctors are like, oh, this is just normal pregnancy stuff. Don't worry about it. Yes. Mm -mm. Yeah. She gets pretty pissed off early about mm -hmm. that. She's advocating for herself, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. She does discuss going with a doula, mm -hmm. which is, I'm not sure if it's the same as a midwife, but they are neighbors if not um, very similar yes right they might have slightly different functions I looked it up very briefly and it, it looks to me like the midwife is I mean it is certified it is a nursing yes. position and so it is mm -hmm. a lot more medical whereas the doula is more supportive of the mother and the midwife is as well right but I think the doula is a little less medically inclined does that make sense I could be wrong and people can correct me but they're both very similar Yes. I think the doula is an advocate too. Yes. I mean, like, again, also the midwife is, but mm -hmm. I think the main function of the doula is to advocate for the mother during like a hospital birth or something like that. Mm -hmm. Again, that's just my understanding. I would also welcome comments on that. Mm -hmm. So I think her name is Nubia. Is that what you got? It could be. Okay. So we'll say a very sharp doula when they are auditioning. <laughs> gets the well she wants to see the medical records of of yes. Amber's and so she Amber hands it over and the doula is immediately concerned because her platelet levels are low and falling and have been for some time for months and how lovely that someone is fucking paying attention not the hospital 
not her physicians. It's caught by someone else, caught by this doula. And so finally the hospital begins to acknowledge this. They diagnose Amber with HELP syndrome, which is basically like a liver enzyme problem, low platelet count, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And she's designated as a high-risk pregnancy from this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything under 150 for the platelet level needs monitoring. And she's like insanely low. 40s. Yeah. yeah, So it's shockingly low. It's not like, oh, she was right on the border. It wasn't anything like that. This was definitely something that a medical professional should have seen. Yes. Oh, I'm sure. Okay. Either they saw it and didn't care or they're not even looking at it, right? You're taking all these blood tests. You get more blood taken when you're pregnant. It's ridiculous. And they're not even paying attention to the results. They don't even look at the results. Like you're going into the doctor's office at least once a month at that point. Mm-hmm. Why aren't they looking at it then? Why aren't they saying, oh, hey, we've noticed this. So even if you're not looking at it when it comes in, mm-hmm. you should have seen it when she came in to talk to you. It's just, I have no words. I have no fucking words for the fact that they let this happen. I mean, it's a flag. It's a bright red flag. And usually when you get test results like that, it is flagged because they have the ranges on the paperwork. Right. So again, you're kind of starting to see that the problems in this are significant. Yeah. So finally she does go in for her delivery. She's induced and then rushed into a C-section because by God, Mm -hmm. they can't wait for her to be able Mm -mm. to bring that baby into the world at her body's own timing. So her mother, who is Renita Isaac, Mm -hmm. talks about how the high-risk doctor that is present leaves Amber to a team of young, they're just inexperienced. Mm -hmm. And there were several points, it seems, in the delivery, and they show some documentation where they're kind of calling out, we decided to go ahead and continue with delivery. So basically... Since she had this health syndrome and her blood was like water, there were low clotting factors going on. She just bled to death on the table. Mm -hmm. And that was a conscious, I mean, like they proceeded with that, even though having Mm -hmm. all of this stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, just let that sink in for a moment that this was a known risk for her. They did it anyway with inexperienced people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is also, Renita worked at that hospital for like 25 years. So she's like, oh, surely they'll take care of us. Bruce mentioned, surely they'll take care of us. We felt safe going to this hospital because they knew Renita. She knew them. Yeah. It's one of your own, so to speak. And yet they didn't give a shit. No, they really did not. But thankfully, Renita got a nice statement from the hospital after her daughter died. And it was like, well, our maternal mortality rate is... 0.01% and that's lower than the averages of the nation and you know the rest of the city or whatever and uh thoughts and prayers sorry about it is basically Mm -hmm. what she got and I was like dude that sucks yeah did did a slap in the face come with it that is fucking Mm. terrible how does she not go to work the next day and just punch someone right in the face I hope she quit that's a very reactionary stance but that's I don't know how you would be able to work there anymore Mm mm-mm However, let us mention that baby Elias is okay. So while Amber did pass away, that little baby is all right. So Mm -hmm. I hope there's some comfort in that. Right. And Amber was Renita's only child as well. Yes. Yes. So now at least she does have a grandchild as a part of her daughter to keep, but she should have Mm -hmm. had both. She should have had her daughter there with her. Yes. Mm. Unbelievably tough situation. We do find out that Bruce and Omari connect and they 
get together and the documentary kind of shows them discussing their grief mm-hmm. and they're running together. They're working out together. They're working through some of this shit together. And I thought, good for them. It's so hard to find somebody that understands you and can validate mm-hmm. how you feel. And these four guys have been through the same thing. And I thought, mm-hmm. again, I'm so grateful that they were able to do that. I mean, that has to be at least one one thing that... Right. To yeah. have that support. Because yeah. it is a very difficult situation that most people will never understand. Yes. Yeah. Amari reached out to Bruce after he heard Amber's story. Right. And was like, right. hey, at least I can understand what you're going through. Yeah. And he makes he makes him run with them. And I thought, Amari, I don't know that we could be friends because I can't run. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> they probably are are both very healthy and do that anyway, but I thought this cat makes everybody run. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Hells yeah. But I like that they don't okay, so they're comforting each other, but what they're also doing is they're like, listen, we need to do something. This is mm-hmm. clearly a problem. This is an epidemic. This is a known issue among the community, right? right? Mm-hmm. So let's take action. Let's do something. And and they do. I mean, right. it's amazing. It's amazing, mm-hmm. really. Amari and um, Shawnee go talk to Anita Warren, who's the deputy director at the Weasel Heritage Center in Brooklyn, talking about the maternal death rate within the African-American community. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that Shawnee talks about her work in reproductive justice. She's like, I thought I would be protected from this because I had some knowledge and I knew about this stuff. Surely it wouldn't happen to me. Right. And then, but then she's like, well, why wouldn't it though? We're still black. We're still women. Of course it's going to happen. Yes. Yeah. I can imagine that that's, I mean, trying to see safety because you're educated in something and then it still Mm -hmm. happens to you. I mean, does reality exist at that point? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And she's, you know, she talks about not only mourning her daughter, but Mm -hmm. mourning the future she was supposed to have with her daughter, growing old with her. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that's heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, she was like, wish she would call me 30 times a day, right? And annoy Mm -hmm. me, you know, as only a mother and daughter can. Uh, (laughs) And that has ended. And how sad, you know, that she is that that they're Mm -hmm. not able to be in each other's lives in that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Amari talks about wanting to get more fathers together for a support group because he's him and Bruce are clearly not the only ones, right? It's mm-hmm. hopefully not a huge group of people, but it's larger than it should be. Let's be honest. And so that's one of his focuses is to get support for himself and other fathers like him. Mm-hmm. Let me also say, it seems that Amara teaches math. Yeah. Let us also mention that this happens during the pandemic. So yes. Omari, I was thinking about it. Is home. He's teaching math over Zoom. He actually calls a kid and says, hey, friend, what gives with not turning in assignments and stuff? And like, mm-hmm. you're always welcome to reach out to me. So he's actively caring for a student that's potentially falling behind. So, you know, he's invested in his students. Mm-hmm. Also, he's raising two young children mm-hmm. and he's grieving the loss of his partner. And I thought he's had enough, right? Yeah. Is there anything else one person can take? Really? I know. This poor cat. And he does. I mean, when he's talking to the student, he calls the student directly, not the parents. Right. He talks to the student and is like, hey, man, what's up? And it's just such an understanding way to reach out to someone as opposed to, dude, you're failing. You know? Right. 
he seems to genuinely care about success of the kids that he teaches, mm-hmm. which is rare to find in a teacher. Yeah, he seems like an amazing person. Mm-hmm. So yes, then they kind of transition to a support group that mm-hmm. is focusing on these men who've dealt with this tragedy. Mm-hmm. Kind of your traditional circle of folding chairs, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. And this is happening at the Weeksville Heritage Center. Mm-hmm. And they're sharing their stories, which are awful. There's another young man that's talking about his partner died after delivery, shortly after delivery. Mm-hmm. And he is forced to go through a DNA test to be able to leave with his child because they say, well, we don't know that you're the dad. And I thought, it's so presumptive, you know, how awful for him. Yes. I, I couldn't even fucking imagine again you're going through all this and they're there to say well are you really the baby daddy which is probably exactly how they phrased it all things considered yes you do Mm. get a sense that all of this with a nice dose of insult well and let's think about it what if he wasn't and i'm not saying by cheating or anything what if she had been in a previous relationship that person passed or whatever the circumstances and he's stepping in as the father figure and Mm -hmm. they were clearly in a relationship together He's still the father. He's still going to raise that child because the other partner wasn't there. So mm-hmm. what the fuck gives you the right to change what they've planned? It's just so frustrating. I will say there's probably some legal stuff that has to do with this. If there's no will in place or whatever, but they didn't have to handle it that way. Right. They could have had some empathy for a person who's going through a terrible situation, mm-hmm. which is really, I think, another main theme of all this is that there's so many assumptions going on and so much assuming the worst of Mm -hmm. the black and brown people that are going through these regular routine birthing situations from my perspective. And I just Mm -hmm. can't believe they have to deal with this. It's shocking Mm -mm. to me. It is. It's opening my eyes right to Mm -hmm. something that I have not experienced. So, and then moving back to this, we see Bruce speaking out at a news conference. Is that how Mm -hmm. you understood it? Yeah, it looks like, I don't know if it's a news conference or just a a gathering of sorts for him to tell his story. Right. On air. Yeah. Right. Right. He's talking about racial disparity. He's talking about that black women are four times more likely to die with the same symptoms as their white counterparts. Mm -hmm. And he also discusses that maternal mortality rates has doubled in the U.S. They do not give a time frame for this. But he says uh, it was safer for our parents to have children than it is for us to have children. And I thought, how interesting that this is part of the discussion now that we don't have Mm -hmm. the right to have an abortion. So (laughs) it's just... Right? You have to have this child, but also it won't be safe and you might die doing it. Tough shit. Right. Uh, Hope you're a gambler. I mean... Uh, unbelievable so yeah and I was trying to think about yeah like a time frame but these are young people right I mean Shimani was 30 so if you think her mother 30 years ago is the 90s it's not like this was back during I was thinking because at first I was thinking was it safe for them to have children earlier because they had separated the black and the white hospitals is it possible that black doctors took better care of their black patients right but that's not the case it was in the 90s so there's none of that even 
Right. They didn't specifically discuss any of that. I wish that they had mm-hmm. just because I like to understand the time frames in which we are speaking. Mm-hmm. It just helps my brain organize information. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just unbelievable. The next thing we see is Bruce speaking on a Zoom call or could be WebEx, whichever. Anyway, it's a conference call, <laughs> a virtual one, kind of about the story of what he and Amber experienced from their medical providers. He also talks about secretaries. I'm assuming this is your schedulers and things like that. Mm-hmm. Receptionists, um, probably. Yes. And the security people at the hospitals oh. and how they treated them. And I thought, really? <laughs> I mean, again, yes. it's not that I don't believe them. I'm just like, where's the audacity come from for people to be giving people shit about anything when they're going to the hospital? Right. And this is so they're like you said, they're having these children in the time of COVID, right? So he mentions that he takes Amber in, who's already really sick. And the security guy said, oh, it's okay, Mr. Baby Daddy, you need to sit over there. She'll go up here. And that's just unacceptable. Right. Yeah. That's why he couldn't go up with her is because of COVID. But yes, the fact that he was called out like that. Right. There's no need for that. The judgment that they face over the most mundane of things is unbelievable. And it's already a stressful situation. So clearly you're not going to talk back. You're not going to say anything to that because you're just overwhelmed anyway. And probably what good does it do? I mean, here we are again, supposing stuff that I've not Mm -hmm. experienced, but yeah, I don't don't know. It's right. It's stunning. If you talk back, what do you get kicked out? You don't take that chance, right? There's nothing you really can do, but sit and take it. I'd imagine. Right. I'm sure that there's a whole different section of stuff that we could hear about from from you know what the cost and like the risk to benefit ratios of any reaction you could have so yeah anyway I will say then we get to talk to Dr. Neil Shaw Mm -hmm. who is the he's a professional shit professor he is a professional he is a professional professor (laughs) (laughs) specializing in OBGYN at Harvard so he might know what the fuck he's talking about Mm mm-hmm And he talks about the injustice of how we treat moms is a big deal. And it's sort of a larger, broader indication of how society things are going in general. Mm -hmm. Not well, everyone. No. He discusses that in 2018, some journalists start to bring to light stories of mothers who are dealing with racism in medical spaces. Yeah. The stories of women dying during childbirth. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So... Because this is a discussion that's in the public, we are starting to track maternal mortality rates systematically so we can address them. The fact that it was 2018 before that happened, by the way. Right. Come on. Right. And again, thank you to journalists who are doing their function, which is to call out some bullshit Mm -hmm. and not just let it go. Because, you know, I wouldn't know about these stories unless people were in the background doing their job and saying, no, we're not going to accept this. We're going to make sure that people know about it. Right. And, and that's journalism working in the way that it, which in which it was attended. Mm -hmm. So between 1970 and 2019, there's been a 500% increase in the number of C-sections overall. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a lot. That was shocking to me. And it's, it is a major surgery. So right. as a lot of people want to think, oh, it's just childbirth. It's not. It's not. I've had one of each. A C-section is they're literally gutting you like a fish. They're taking stuff out of your person and then putting it back in, you know? 
it's yeah ridiculous. It's horrible. I have not had a C-section. I've had two children. I was terrified. I It just sounded horrible, and it was mm-hmm. some shit I didn't want to have to deal with, and I'm thankful that I did not have to move in that direction. Mm-hmm. But also, I think we need to move away from this thing like, oh, it's just childbirth. Can we acknowledge that it's a huge deal to have a baby, like the physical act of yes. labor and delivery, and then you have a baby you have to take care of. It's not like you get to rest for six weeks. Right. And then, you know, pick up once you get rested. I mean, you just, yes. I've never slept again since I had two children. I know. <laughs> I know, right? It is. You're trying to heal and also take care of a new person who doesn't understand you're trying to heal. They don't give a shit. They just want to eat. Right. And have a clean diaper and what else, you know, right. it's exhausting and horrible. And I mean, yes, magical, sure, whatever, but it's very, very hard. And I don't think you're right. People do not recognize how difficult it is mm-hmm. for all women. Right. And now for brown women, you're killing them. So they don't even get to experience that, which sucks even more. Right. So it's hard in the best of circumstances, miserable in the worst of circumstances. And mm-hmm. that's if you survive. So with with that giant increase of percentage in C-sections, so follows exorbitant death rates, especially among Black women, Mm -hmm. because Black women have more Mm C-sections, statistically, from what they've been finding. Yeah. And guess what? It's not because they want it. (laughs) Yeah. And like I said, there are more, there are more risks and it's more mm-hmm. dangerous for you. I mean, childbirth itself is dangerous, but like add in major surgery when you could be dealing with infection or, you know, it could be botched or, you know, whatever else could be. So mm-hmm. I don't know. And then we start to talk about some of the really problematic things about there's less concern for black women when they report symptoms, yep, pain, anything like that. And there is less support for successful vaginal births, which you kind of mentioned a minute ago, even to such a degree that they made a calculator for it. And by entering your race, they can tell you what your percentage is of having a successful vaginal delivery. And I thought, Mm -hmm. I mean, but the problem with that is not only will it tell you that it's also almost driving their actions. Right. They're mm-hmm. saying, oh, we well, are less successful to have one. So we won't even bother trying without understanding. No, I don't think you understand. Yeah. <laughs> yes. the, What's the causing the data of what that is. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, so as a person who deals with some math and statistics, you have to be mm-hmm. aware of these kinds of things. And we have very clear situations in which you can, you know, change stuff. So I think that maybe it'd be interesting to understand what things they have put into place to manage this better. So they're not just jumping, well, you're unlikely to have a good vaginal delivery. So we might as well rush right to C-section instead of understanding, well, why, why are you less likely to have that, you know, successful delivery? So, and that's part of what Dr. Shaw is trying to accomplish, right? I like that. He said he started to think about his own practice and starting to question whether very well-meaning people might do racist things unintentionally. Right. Yeah. And how how the medical field is driven. I think it still says stupid stuff in medical texts to this day about how the pain tolerance is different for people of African-American descent and shit like that, which is incorrect at best. I don't understand why we can't get our heads wrapped around the fact that we're the same. We're all the same. We want the same stuff. Right. The only difference is what I'll burn a little bit quicker. I don't know. I. You are real pasty. That's true. I am. <laughs> I I mean, it's, it just amazes me that 
that a doctor, a doctor, you've gone to school for this. You can look at two people and say, well, that's a person and that's a person. And guess what? If it was dark, I wouldn't know the difference. It's just stupid to think that there's anything different between. There are some things. Sickle cell anemia might be something that this person mm-hmm. has that this other person doesn't have. Or there are some things like that. But that doesn't mean their overall makeup is is different. Mm-hmm. I have heard some stuff that talks about when you're in school, especially for these specialties, that there is a way mm-hmm. that they teach you how to think. You are indoctrinated. So mm-hmm. I think part of this depends on the quality of the education that you're getting. So if this is taught, I mean, that's a hard thing to imagine, but I can't say that it's not. Mm -hmm. If systemic racism is part of the curriculum, you are going to absorb it as a student. So I think that what I really liked about Dr. Shaw was he really seems like a genuine person and Mm -hmm. he cares and he's asking really good questions and listening to people. Mm -hmm. So I think he's the right person to be the one that's, working for better outcomes. Championing these things. Yeah. And working with people who are better equipped to tell him this is what's going on because he might not see it firsthand all the time. Mm -hmm. And so to have people on his team, as it were, that Mm -hmm. are working in the trenches of this, I think that speaks volumes of someone who's trying to move forward. Like, listen, I'm not just here to save the world. I want to work with you guys and let's make a difference. Right. So one of my, I mean, I don't know, there are several really awesome people in this, but Helena Grant. I love her. She's a CNM. She's the director of midwifery at Woodhill Medical Center. I'm sorry. I think it's called midwifery. (laughs) I don't know. Tomato, tomato. (laughs) (laughs) I love when people call it midwifery just because it sounds so silly. I don't know why. Right. No, 100%. And she talks about sort of the function of the midwife is to have shared decision-making with the patients. Mm-hmm. What a shocker of a, I don't know, idea that is, you know what I mean? Like that you have to speak and say that out loud, like, oh, we have shared decision-making. Mm-hmm. Everybody should have shared decision-making in all of their treatment, but by God, we have to list it out here. That is not her fault or, you know what I'm saying? But it's just funny to me that they have to say that. All right. Well, I mean, we've been taught for years. Well, doctors know best. I mean, you just listen to the doctors. They'll tell you mm-hmm. what to do. Or they feel that you should just listen to them without giving any input of your own. Right. Helena discusses that midwives are integrated into systems in other countries. But here in the good old United States, we don't use midwives nearly as much as they do abroad. Mm-hmm. And what kind of results has that gotten us, Erin? Do you have some thoughts to share? Well, the U.S. has the highest maternal mortality rate amongst all of the industrialized nations. And they have a lovely bar graph and it's just mm-hmm. like <laughs> twice as much. I mean, like, I yeah, didn't look it's statistically not like at a me. little bit above. Yeah, it's a lot. It's like we like to be number one. So we go above and beyond in all things, including horrible things. Right. Right. Mm-mm. So another thing she says is only six to nine percent of all births in U.S. are done with a midwife. Mm-hmm. I will admit that when I was pregnant and I never even thought of a doula or a midwife because it seems like woo, right? It's pushed off as woo. They've done a really good job of making it seem like it's not the safe way to go, right? I agree with you. It was not part of the discussions Mm-mm. anywhere in any of my birth plans, right? Which even mm-hmm. at the time seemed very funny to me. Right. I mean, even... Thinking about people doing home births, I thought, well, that seems like a risk, right? Because what if something goes wrong 
then you're not at the hospital. But my experiences at the hospital have been much more positive. So I didn't have that concern going in and having a birth there, right? Right. Whereas having a child at home for an African-American is probably a lot safer. I mean, I think that what we're learning is that you can make that argument, right? Yeah. I liked that Helena said medical technocratic patriarchal model of birth in hospitals is what we're fed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doctors are actively, I mean, they're, they're taught to actively manage labor by pushing it along. So there's this pressure to get that baby out. That's really what they're after. It's not about waiting for you or doing what you want or trying to make it a decent experience for you. I will say that at least for my first kid's birth, I very much felt this pressure and it was not pleasant. So, And Dr. Shaw talks about that. Mm-hmm. He says that to have a C-section costs less for the hospital than a natural vaginal birth because of the time, right? The longer the delivery takes, the more expensive it is. But not only that, I think he said they get paid 50% more for each C-section. So there's oh, a yeah. lot of incentive for the hospital to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought, oh, that is, I mean, explains everything in my opinion. Yeah. Capitalism at its finest. Right. So yeah, just shocking to think about the hospital actively trying to <laughs> maximize their profitability for mm-hmm. your delivery. Yeah. So it's horrible. Yeah. Helena also talks about how she noticed early in her career, how black women were used as guinea pigs, even to this day, right? Yep. She was a nurse in an an elite teaching facility. Mm-hmm. And she saw that white women coming in would get like experienced doctors and the black mm-hmm. women coming in were getting the students. Mm-hmm. And every single one of them was getting an episiotomy, not because they needed it, but because that student needed to learn how to sew up the stitches. Fuck right off with that. I couldn't believe that either. I mean... I'm sorry. I can't believe it. It's shocking and blows the mind to hear about that because you don't need any more trauma to your lady bits after you have a baby. It's got Mm -hmm. plenty, but by God, they'll take every opportunity. If you're a black lady to catch up, I guess. I mean, I'm sorry to laugh, but it's, I mean, that's my stress reaction. I don't know. It's laugh or cry. It's laugh or cry. And if, if you're not familiar with the story of how gynecology came about, she does discuss that a little bit. And I've heard this before, and it's horrifying every time I hear it. Yeah. J. Marion Sims is the father of gynecology. I use that term loosely. So enslaved women were birthing so many children because, well, you're just making more and more enslaved people for yeah. your master. You're right? a baby factory. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That these women were, were getting fistulas. And so once you get that fistula, you can no longer have a child. Mm -hmm. And so he wanted to fix that, not to make their life better, because that's a miserable life to have, but to make sure they could have more babies for their white masters. Right. So they're maximizing profitability. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he was experimenting on these black women to make sure he could fix the problem. Was he using anesthetic? He was not. No. And it's even written in some of his texts that he, you know, published later that, oh, the the African-American community or however he said it, they don't have pain reactions like the white people do. Like they can tolerate the pain because they don't feel it. The fuck? Surely these women were screaming on your bed as you were cutting into them. But I think doesn't that make the 
horror that you're subjecting them to easier for you to perform if you feel like they're not experiencing mm-hmm. it like mm-hmm. you know what I mean and I'm like yeah the self-serving narcissist bullshit that that is is just horrific mm-hmm. yeah I mean and black women continue to be treated by learners and it's just kind of how it goes right Yes. And this is what's taught, right? So, I mean, like, mm-hmm. that's what I was talking about. Like, what you're taught sticks with you. And if this is okay when you're learning, why wouldn't you continue to treat people in this manner? So, if you're not mm-hmm. white, if you don't have private insurance, you're less likely to be cared for. Yeah. Treated by an experienced physician. Mm-hmm. If you are brown, if you are on Medicare, Medicaid, you're going to go to the lower levels of care and be treated by noobs Mm -hmm. with less oversight. And so there's more injury, there's more death. I mean, it's just, just horrible. It is horrible. Let's see. Let's go back up because I kind of got off track. Sorry. What about the New York City Council hearing on maternal health? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shawnee speaks at that meeting. And she's dynamic. She's a gifted speaker and she really is. It just gave me chills to hear the force of her resolve to advocate for women Mm -hmm. and, you know, for her family and stuff like that. She is, she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She's a great activist Mm -hmm. and it sounds like she's been doing that work previously and she just rolled right into this one. And I'm glad that they're able to take their pain. Mm Mm-hmm. And use it productively because most people like myself would probably just wallow. I'm not, uh, I'm not as gifted of a speaker as you all can tell. (laughs) (laughs) I also wanted to call out, there's a representative councilwoman named Carolina Riviera, and she Mm -hmm. is on board with this and talking about what are we going to do? What action can we take? How can we fix this epidemic? I'm not sure exactly how we're classifying it at this point, but They are getting a toehold, a foothold. There are people listening to them. And so much to their credit for being the squeaky wheel. Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. So you're starting to see that this is catching fire a little bit. So, Yeah. So we shift over to Tulsa, Oklahoma. There are two stories in Oklahoma here. So we have Dr. Shaw going around the country, kind of trying to make a difference in maternal health care, working with different people, with different organizations. He says the Oklahoma maternal death rate is double the national average. And most labor and delivery rooms are set up like cardiac units. Like they're just ready for surgery. That's what they're ready for, right? Yeah. We meet Felicia Ellis and Paul Ellis, who's her husband. Mm -hmm. Felicia's pregnant, mother-to-be. She talks about how Black women make up 10% of the births, but 20% of maternal deaths in Oklahoma. That's horrible. Yeah. Tulsa is one of the worst places to have a baby in the country. Mm-hmm. How terrifying. Yeah. She also mentions that she didn't really think much about it until she heard about Serena Williams' story. And I remember that's really when it became, it came to my attention as well. Right. Because Serena Williams is one, extremely healthy, obviously, being an athlete of that stature. Right. She's very wealthy. So she has the money for care. Yep. So you would think that that wouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. And yet she was dismissed. She was dismissed over and over again and nearly died because people weren't listening to her and what Mm -hmm. she knew was a problem. Right. You know your body the best 
Mm-hmm. You're an expert in your own body. And to advocate for yourself and not be heard or part of your own treatment must be extremely mm-hmm. degrading, number one, and just really hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. So Felicia and Paul are trying to find a doctor, a hospital, a place where they are comfortable, right? Because she's scared now, which rightly so. Yeah. And they start looking into birthing centers. Mm -hmm. Something I had never heard of. Me neither. So she talks about she doesn't want a C-section if possible. They are self-employed. So having major surgery can be more downtime, right? Mm -hmm. They go to the Breathe Birth and Wellness Birth Center. And they meet Giselle Chebney, who's a nurse who gives them a tour. First of all, girl, you're a fucking nurse. Pull your mask up over your nose. Sorry. <laughs> Everyone else had their mask up over the nose, but not you. Yeah, can't be bothered. Okay. Yeah. And you're on camera. Like, really? Yeah. Mm. You're a nurse. Mm-hmm. Come on now. But she talks about how this is for women, this mm-hmm. is for you to decide what you need during the birth. What do you need? Do you need to mm-hmm. walk? Let's walk. Do you need to sit in a bath? Let's sit in a bath. Do you need to sit on a ball? This is driven by the mother and what she feels like she needs as she's going through labor. Right. That's crazy because we don't know what we want, right? That's just, come on. Well, there's a lot we don't know about birth, right? And there's no quantitative way to tell how long a delivery is going to take. And so giving someone the gift of time Mm -hmm. for their body to do whatever it is that their body needs to do to have, you know, the baby, we're just not very practiced at that because of course we don't use midwives or anything like that. I mean, it all kind of ties together. So in such an interesting way, I thought, but going to the birthing center relieves a lot of that pressure is, mm-hmm. is the idea behind it, right? So, right. And these are still medically trained professionals. Yes. You have yeah. midwives there, you have nurses, you mm-hmm. have doulas there to help you. Mm-hmm. And they're just, I mean, they're prepared. They have medications for hemorrhaging. They do have suture kits in case you tear. Mm-hmm. They have these things available. So it's still a safe environment, mm-hmm. but it's also a much more natural environment for you to feel comfortable giving birth. Right. They didn't specifically talk about epidurals at all in this. And I wondered kind of what your thoughts are on were epidurals available at the birthing centers? I had the impression they were not. I didn't think it was either. Okay. So, I mean, I'm guessing not because an epidural for the most part is just to make it more comfortable and they're doing other things to help make it more comfortable. Right. So they're still trying to do that just in a different way. Right. I definitely think that fear of pain was a driver for me to go to the hospital where I knew an epidural would be available. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's an okay thing to say here. Right. But I, I also think it would have been interesting to understand what other options were kind of available for me. I don't feel like mm-hmm. I dealt with anything like this by any means, but you know, that, that occurred to me. Like, I wonder how women feel about that. Right. To me, it's always like, that's the only option. Like, if you can't handle the pain you're in, we're going to give you an epidural. And then, mm-hmm. you know, how, however long labor, later you'll have that baby. So, Right. And for me, I was I was actually more scared of the epidural than I was the pain. Oh, really? Okay. That's the process. It's not great, right? Yeah. It's just the idea of it terrified me. Right. 
I will say I thought it was interesting as they were giving the tour, they kind of finished up with a little talk on the uh, the dollar dollar bills. And mm-hmm. of course, this is not fucking covered by insurance. And I thought, of course not. Oh, so frustrating. Like, hey, something to make you more comfortable and whatever during delivery, mom. Mm-hmm. No, we won't cover that. Thank you. And I wonder if, because they are both self-employed, that they might not have had traditional insurance anyway. Sure. So this might, mm-hmm. it might have been a cheaper route regardless for them. I mean, yeah, they said it was, a, in this case, they they quoted about $3,000. Um, they did say mm-hmm. something about since she was coming in a little bit late, but I didn't really catch right. why the cost would be more, but whatever. Because I would assume that all the visits... I mean, if you're going there from the beginning, it's called birthing. So I would assume it was an end thing. But if you're going there throughout for a midwife, then you have all those visits and everything and blood work, I'm sure. So that's not covered. Now, I'm glad you said 3000 because I wasn't sure if it was 3000 or 30000 because I couldn't really hear that. Oh, my God. Okay. No, I'm pretty sure they said 3000 See, and that makes more sense. I assume that was it because Felicia's like, well, that's not bad. And I'm like, if yeah. it's 30000 I don't know anyone who'd be like, that's not bad. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. I think I paid a lot more than 3000 after insurance for the C-section just. So yeah, that was definitely a better option for them and everyone else, I'm sure. The hospital's the most expensive hotel you'll ever be in, right? I mean, that's, Ugh, yeah, 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 100%. <laughs> so Paul and Felicia are eating out afterwards. They're talking about it. They're sitting at a picnic table and he's like, Listen, I have like a million nieces and nephews. I totally know everything about childbirth and raising kids. And she's just like, boy. <laughs> I mean, he was being facetious, but it was hilarious because right. she's like, there are two things you don't know. And he said, how to be a woman and how to have a kid. And she's like, right. yup. <laughs> They're adorable, those two. That's what I thought, too. They were like razzing each other. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's so cute. So, <laughs> yeah. So they do show Felicia when they go. They decide to use the birthing center. And they show her active labor. Mm-hmm. First of all, she's allowed to eat. That made me extremely jealous. Uh, 100%. I was like denied for some time also. Well, food and water, because they're like, if we have to do an emergency surgery and you have to be put out, you could regurgitate any anything that's in your stomach. So I assume that's why she's allowed to eat because the idea of surgery is very low. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's consistent with her wishes. So just wanted to yeah. point out how these things work together nicely. Mm. Surprising. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ice chips were not doing it for me. After, <laughs> what, eight hours of labor, you're dying of thirst. You haven't had anything yeah. to eat or drink. It's just horrible. Mm-hmm. It's a horrible experience. She's allowed to walk around the grounds. She has a doula with her to help her mm-hmm. go through her contractions. You see her husband napping through some of it. And I thought of like back was. snoring <laughs> so hard. And I was like, yes. but consider the fact that she was okay enough that he felt okay enough to fall asleep mm-hmm. for a little bit. Right. You know what I mean? So I was like, okay, so that kind of gave me a vibe of what was going on. Like she mm-hmm. wasn't comfortable enough to sleep, but her doula was there giving her the support. So yeah, right. it seemed to be okay. She spent time in a bath to help alleviate some of that pressure, which is nice. Mm -hmm. They show her giving birth to a beautiful baby girl. Mm -hmm. She's a champ through the whole thing. She is strong. She is just, yeah, she's a champ. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful story because they have a healthy baby girl. The mother is healthy. They're able to go through this process in a way that will be a good memory. And Mm -hmm. everyone is able to go home. 
Yes. Shall we bounce back to Helena? Yes. So Helena talks about how, you know, throughout time, midwives were taking care of women. Women taking care of women. This is what we have done. Because men didn't understand us. When they thought our uterus traveled throughout our body or floated or some stupid (laughs) shit, right? Yeah. We're hysterical. But even in all cultures, since forever, women were present at the birth of other women. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know this, but it was the Catholic church that was like, you know what? We're not cool with not having a man in there meddling with stuff. So Mm -hmm. that kind of shifted it towards a man being the, it was a, they were called male midwives or some shit like that. And then eventually (laughs) it changed over to the doctor having to do it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the church can't have women having any kind of choices or say over her body or control. Yes, we can't have yes, that. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. no. I mean, they might become witches. You just never know. She does talk a lot about the imagery and the language that they use around birthing starts to become delivered. You need to be delivered because when men got into the birthing room and they saw how women were acting because bitch they in pain I don't know what else to say (laughs) about this like they were loud and they were screaming and they were acting like women don't normally act in polite society and these men Mm -hmm. were shocked like I don't know if they thought they were possessed I'm really surprised that I mean I guess men don't understand that birth is painful intuition aside right or empathy Mm -hmm. aside so they were like well they need to be delivered by a man it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard thank god for men (laughs) Do you think maybe if we sat them down and shoved like something up their urethra, I'd be like, does that feel good? Are you going to scream? Mm-hmm. How does that feel? Just so they have some kind of comparison. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. <It's, laughs> I don't need to postulate on this anymore. Yeah. But they also talk about in the U.S. when they brought Africans over for enslavement, yes. midwives were brought with them. And then these black women who were midwives, not just to the enslaved people, but also to the white people, their owners in that. So they were taking care of all the women mm-hmm. and midwives were predominantly black. Mm-hmm. Right. It was a position of power. Yes. And they were sought after. And it's crazy. I mean, Good for them. Sort of maybe problematic, but okay. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. great for them, but they're still uh, mm. part of the but wheel. You, I don't know. But you said it though, right? They had some kind of power that yes. white people could not tolerate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So over time, you have white men who become OBGYNs and they decide that uh, the women need to start coming to the hospital to give birth. Right. Mm-hmm. They have white nurses and white doctors at the hospitals, uh, quote fingers, taking care of births. They run almost a marketing campaign to slander these black midwives, yep. calling them dirty, calling them uneducated and everything, mm-hmm. less skilled, untrained. It was dangerous. Yeah. Right. White yeah. nurses would go hunt out midwives and force them to turn in any kind of licensure they had to the health department. Yeah. Fucking white women. I know. We're the worst. I know. We really are. But Helena says then midwifery becomes 
a book knowledge thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's no longer an apprenticeship. So you go to school to become a nurse and then you go and you learn a little bit more to become a midwife. Whereas before it was an apprenticeship and that's really how you learn. Hands on, get in there, see these different problems. It's hard to learn to solve a problem until you see it, right? And a book is not the same thing. You have to see it. Well, I think it goes back to the importance of this process. It's just not important enough that you would assign an internship to it. It's it's just birth. Mm-hmm. It's just labor. Oh. <laughs> it's just bringing new life into the world. Right. But yeah, now 88% of all midwives in the U.S. are white. Yes. And she discussed how we need to make them, we need to bring them back to being a central part of women's health care and reproductive care and maternity care. The rest of the world seems to have this figured out. And once again, we're falling behind. Yeah. I mean, there's really nothing else to say here. We just, this is, we get this wrong. And the real life consequences of this are staggering. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But speaking of birth centers, Bruce and Mila Flores, who's a doula, visit a space that they're going to use to build a birthing center in the Bronx. Um, They film a little spiel talking Mm -hmm. about they're going to bring this center to the Bronx. There are only three currently operating in, I don't know if it was just the Bronx or in New York as a whole. Either way, it's a very small amount of birthing Mm -hmm. centers for a very large population. And they discussed that a birthing center is a nice mix between a hospital and a home birth. So some people don't want to go to the hospital for obvious reasons that we've been discussing this entire Mm. time. And some people don't want to do a home birth because it seems scary, right? You don't have anything there in case there's something that goes wrong. Yes. And so this is a really nice mixture of both that you can have that comfort of being at home, but also the comfort of medical staff to help you. Mm-hmm. And I really, really, really wish I would have known about any of these before I had my two kids. Just knowing your options is a form of knowledge and power. And right, I agree with you. It would have been nice to understand a little bit more about what might have worked for you. Yeah. I mean, I'm thankful that I was safe. I never felt unsafe. And I'm thankful that I have, I walked out of it and I was able to be here to raise my kids. So that's something that other people don't have. So I will not complain. I will hope that people will have better options moving forward. And that's what we can do, right? Right. Dr. Shaw has Bruce come to the college Mm -hmm. to have him talk to medical students, which I think is brilliant. Again, they need to see the ramifications of their actions, not these particular students, but you have a real life effect on people's lives. Mm-hmm. And he tells his story to these students and it's interesting to hear their feedback and how they take it. Right. Mm-hmm. One woman was like, she's white. She's like, I don't know what it's like to have racism as part of my life. She goes, so mm-hmm. I have to actively make sure that I am learning and not doing that moving forward. Right. And making conscious effort to be better. Mm-hmm. I really like that. She said she doesn't have any lived experience with racism in this way. She mm-hmm. knows she's going to have a blind spot that she needs to work on. And I think it's cool that she said, yeah, I don't want to be part of the problem. I'm going to be aware and try to be better. And mm-hmm. yeah. So that's the first step. You have to realize that you have that blind spot. It took me much too long in life. I feel like to realize that my experiences were not everyone's experiences, right? You have to learn from other people to see what it's like. And yeah, hopefully we'll get better. So let's talk a little bit about Amari. He Mm -hmm. starts painting portraits. He first paints one for Bruce of Amber 
and mm-hmm. kind of give that to him. Like, you know, he'd been painting a lot of portraits of Shimani. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of occurred to him, maybe I could try to paint one of Amber for Bruce and see mm-hmm. if he, you know, kind of, you know, it brings him some peace to have, you know, something of her like that. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of branches out and he's starting to paint portraits for other grieving families. Mm-hmm. And they specifically show an interaction where he travels to Texas to give a portrait to Sam Valeri Jr. His mm-hmm. Maria died in one of these situations of maternal mortality. Mm-hmm. And the portrait he does of her is absolutely stunning, it is filled with life and beauty. And I was just like, that is striking. To be able to give a gift to someone like that to help these family members as they're mourning, I think it's an mm-hmm. incredible gift. I mean, I don't know. It is amazing because when you're when you're working with someone or you're talking to someone who is going through grief, you often feel helpless. Now, I don't mm-hmm. think Amari does because he's also in the same situation. So it's easier for him to connect. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times you feel helpless. And this is a way that he can give them almost a piece of their loved one back. And I mm-hmm. just think it's beautiful. Yeah. Sam had talked about, they don't talk about exactly how Maria died, but he did mention that after the birth, they were essentially kicked out of the hospital right after the birth. Like Maria still couldn't even walk. And he's like, can't we just stay for a minute? They're like, nope, insurance won't pay for it. And booted him right out. And she Mm -hmm. passed, I'm assuming shortly after when she was at home. I don't know. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I just can't even imagine. You're in the medical field. Your whole purpose in life is to help people. And yet you're being that way. No, I understand at some point it's a hospital's choice, but how hard would that be if they're saying you have to kick them out and they're like, but they're not ready. I don't know. It just seems horrible. Well, I think to me, it, it kind of comes back, you know, the Hippocratic oath says harm none. Right. Mm-hmm. And there has to be a belief in, in my opinion, it's, I don't know if they think these people are being dramatic. They're like, Look, we've spent five seconds looking over stuff. You seem like you're fine. Just run along. We don't have time for your theatrics. Mm -hmm. That's the only way that I can make sense of this in my head. I'm sure that they experience all kinds of things and I couldn't speak Mm -hmm. to. But in my head, that's the only way that this scenario works. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's terrible. And I, I no, I cannot imagine what it's like to deal and then to ever have to go back to a doctor ever again in your life. <laughs> no. Ever to take your baby to the doctor. Could you imagine? No. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I understand it took a long time, but I completely understand why black people do not trust the medical community. I mean, they have yet to earn that trust period. Yeah. The medical community has really shit the bed in this, <laughs> this particular way. And yeah, I mean, there's consequences for the actions of people mm-hmm. now. It's, it's just something else. I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. They do show a first birthday party for Shimani's baby. And mm-hmm. it's part in person, part virtual. Virtual. Because mm-hmm. it's still COVID. But it's very sweet. And you can tell it's very hard. And I'm, you know, I was, it was a little. Missed it up. Yeah. yeah. Me too. And then you see. Shawnee goes to Washington and it seems to be a big rally and she's speaking. And like you said, she's just such a powerful speaker. And she talks about, you know, black lives matter 
because black wombs matter and you all came from a black womb. So step it up, motherfuckers. She didn't say that. She was a lot better. Right. But essentially, like, we all need to protect black wombs because that's where black lives come from. So let's work towards that. Mm -hmm. And she's working to hold people accountable. They, you know, have started all these campaigns on social media. There's a tweet from Kamala Harris who helps bring attention to the stories. And there's a bill that's introduced on Capitol Hill to bring the black mortality rate down. Mm -hmm. Now I didn't hear, I didn't look and see if anything's been passed. They have a house committee on oversight and reform hearing an U S maternal mortality crisis on May 7th, 2021. Mm -hmm. And they have Mr. Johnson. there speaking of his experience of losing his wife. And he talks about Amber's story and Shimoni's story, how it's a human rights issue, Mm -hmm. but I don't hear about if anything was passed. Did you? I did not. Yeah, this is the start of this. It's not resolved, right? Mm -hmm. So I do want to put out here that Aftershock is the name of this documentary. It is also the name of the movement. Mm -hmm. And so if you're looking for more information on this, that might be a great place, um, kind of a keyword that might take you where you need to go to find out more about this. Mm -hmm. As they talk about, it's got a lovely, let me say a poignant tagline about when a black mother dies, the ripple effects, you know, that you're, that are felt within the community. And so I didn't get it all. I didn't write it all down, but I think I did. Hold on. Did you? Okay. Good. You're so good. (laughs) It doesn't mean I can find it. (laughs) Okay. It was a justice for Amber rally and they have a couple people talking. One, I believe, was Nubia or maybe one of the other oh, okay. or doulas mm-hmm. who had talked about if white women were dying at the rate of black women, it Ugh. would be seen as a crisis, right? Why isn't this a crisis? Yeah. And Shawnee says, we call this aftershock because Shimoni's death was like a tsunami. When black mothers die, it has a ripple effect. Yes, the death is an earthquake, but the shit afterwards is overwhelming. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the last thing that I wrote in my notes was in in April of this year, 2022, Amber's estate files a lawsuit against hospital Montefiore for negligence and malpractice. Yeah. So the defendants are doctors and they don't specifically list them, but it's the people that were involved in her care. And they've all been like, we didn't do anything wrong. Which is impressive because listen, they got receipts, right? That's what I thought too. I was like, <laughs> you've got some paperwork that says, You know what I mean? So I was like, that's a bold claim. Anyway, I looked up to see if there had been a ruling or if there was any kind of follow up on this, but Mm -hmm. not so far. Like a lot of, there were a lot of sources that had mentioned that there was a lawsuit filed and sort of Mm -hmm. about this documentary and in connection with the case, because I think a lot of people did know about this case. Mm -hmm. Kamala Harris had sort of mentioned it on social media, Mm -hmm. but there wasn't really any resolution at least or kind of any more details that I could find in sort of a a quick search on the old googs so I hope they win all the monies I really do oh (laughs) you know what and it comes down to I'm sure they don't care about the money they want these people to be held accountable for their actions and yes that money will put these kids through college right or she has one son but right it's more about you have to be held accountable. You have to know this is not okay. So you fucking don't do it again. Right. 
if you have to pay, it will catch your attention. You might yeah. now give a shit because it's it's hurting you somehow instead of right. You know that you don't care about me. Right. So I agree that the money is probably a pale reason to do this, but mm-hmm. nonetheless. I hope that they win. I hope that it's painful for the people who need to learn a lesson here. And I hope that they spark change because I'm going to tell you what, they are the right people at the right time. I'm so sorry that they had to deal with this and this is how they got here, but they are incredible people. And yeah, I think that they're going to make some reform happen. You know what? I feel like they have the power to change the world. They are so strong, all of them. And yeah, like I said, to be able to take that pain and make a difference is an incredible talent because most people can't do that. I wanted to look up a little bit and see how can you help? Oh, okay. Maybe not just these individuals, but just in general. Mm -hmm. So I found a group called Groundswell and they have a fund. It's called the Birth Justice Fund. And what they do is they donate to a lot of different birthing centers and they help okay. assist, supports midwives, doulas and birth workers of color leading innovative direct service delivery advocacy and organizing efforts to make high quality midwifery and doula care and training accessible to communities of color and lower income communities. Okay. And so they have on their webpage what they do, how they distribute funds. They're very okay, great. transparent on that and then also a way to donate. So if you feel like you want to make a difference and help in this area, groundswellfund.org. Okay. And I'm sure there are many others. This mm-hmm. was just a quick search and one that was a direct. Um, so it's not just helping one community. It is helping mm-hmm. multiple communities and directly affecting people and making care more accessible to those who need it. Sure. So yeah. I like the idea of letting the experts distribute this in the best way possible. Yeah. Right. I like that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about next week. Yeah. We needed a break <laughs> from really tough talk. Next week, we're going to do a documentary called Potty Town, which sounds ridiculous. <laughs> Might actually be ridiculous, but sometimes that's our jam. Let's hope it is. Right. So this is an hour and 10 minutes. It's directed by someone named Morgan Elliott. I believe it's on Amazon Prime. You can probably rent it. I don't think it's uh, free with subscription, but there's probably I got to throw a little bit of money at him to, to watch it. So the tagline that I wrote is there's an 82-year-old man who's protesting local governments with flower-filled toilet displays. And he makes a real nuisance out of himself with some (laughs) flower pot toilets. And I'm like, I'm in. (laughs) Let me also mention to you that this happens in Potsdam, New York, which Mm -hmm. caught my eye because that is the same town in which the Garrett Phillips case that we've already covered has happened. So they got a lot of action going on in Potsdam. So we'll see. I'm excited. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it'll be hopefully fluffy. If it makes me cry, then uh, I have no one to blame but myself because I sent you the documentary. (laughs) That you did. That you did. But yeah, it seems like maybe the consequences and the uh, tone of this might be somewhat lighter. So Mm -hmm. we'll ask you to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, You can find us at GoDocYourself on the Instagram and the Twitters. And thanks a lot. I feel like this is an important topic. So, right, you know. I hope we all learn together. I hope you guys watch the documentary. It's amazing. These families are amazing. So let's help them make a difference where we can. Yep. hundred percent. Yep. All right. We will talk to you next week. Latest. Bye. Bye.